Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about the abolition of men, traditional values, and the elections in Ohio, and what it says about the state of American men. new to the podcast or you haven't hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind as to leave a five-star review. And if you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Institute of Men podcast. Like I said in the intro, my name is Keaton. I am the host of this podcast. I started this podcast and we do our best on this podcast to figure out, hey, what kind of man do I want to be in my character and how do I pursue that vision for the rest of my life? And we're looking to become men who have more than a career, who have more than just a pile of money or, you know, or more than just checking out and smoking weed and smoking dope and playing video games. We're trying to become men of noble character like the men of old, the ones that you know, you read about in books. And today we're going to be le- learning from one of the greatest men in history who was, you can't really say he was ancient, but we're going to learn a little bit from C.S. Lewis. Um, and today, uh, today's podcast um, is... You know, if I get a little fiery up front, I just want to say I apologize ahead of time. I have had a very interesting week. My wife is going back to work and she's a nurse in the ER and she's going back to work. She's been a stay-at-home mom for the last uh, little over a year. She's been a stay-at-home mom and she's going to go back to work like one or two days a week at the hospital. But in order to go back to work one or two days at the hospital, she has had to go through training every single day. And then she had a church conference and all this stuff, which means, and I, I don't start my new job until December. And so I was a stay at home dad with both kids for the first time in my life for an entire week. And I learned a lot during that week. I learned I need to tell my wife, thank you for existing every single day. And and I also learned that kids need 100% of your attention all the time. There's actually not a lot of time to do anything other than watch the kids, especially our kids are two and six months. There's They need all of the attention. I look forward to the day that my daughter can start helping me fold laundry and I don't have to, you know, make sure she's not breaking something or herself. It's, I, I just shout out to all the stay at home moms. You have a very important job. I just want to say thank you for doing the hard work of raising good, noble children and giving your whole energy into that job and husbands and sons. If you just say thank you to your mom, because they do amazing, amazing, amazing work. So I just want to throw that out there. One other thing you may have noticed on Thursdays, I've been posting these prayer podcasts. Something on my heart is helping men learn how to pray by using other people's words. And we're using the Psalms. We're using the words in the in the Psalms to learn how to pray because the Psalms are all prayers and they are meant to be prayed and they're meant to help us learn how to pray. And they, they say a lot of, they teach you a lot about your relationship with God and with other people and with yourself. And you'll notice half the Psalms are laments and, and they're, 
when things aren't going the way you thought they're supposed to go. They're not polite. The Psalms are far from polite, but I really feel like we need to learn how to pray, and the best way to learn how to pray is to use other people's words. I'm not really into giving you a bunch of stuff on to motivate you to pray. I'm not going to tell you why you need to pray. I just Here's how to pray. Use other people's words until you can learn to pray on your own, and then you'll see the the fruits and the benefits of prayer. And and prayer is communion with God. It's it is talking to God. It's communion with the divine. It's and it's also it's communion with each other. If you think you ask somebody to pray for you, you are letting them know about something in your life that you need divine help with, and that is a that's a form of communion. There you're not you're not hiding yourself from other people. Even Jesus asked his disciples to pray with to pray for him. You know, they didn't do a good job, at, you know, at the end they fell asleep, but he still asked them to pray. So it's communion with God, it's communion with each other. And I want us all to be more men who actually pray. And I've been in the situation where somebody asks you to pray out loud and you're like, I'd rather not. I would rather, I don't even know what to say. I would rather not pray. And I don't, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to have that come upon us. Actually, when we, when it says who wants to pray, like where we can raise our hand and say, I would love to pray on behalf of this, you know, group or this family or this meal or whatever, whatever. Uh, so those are coming out on Thursdays. Those are, I just record a Psalm. I read the Psalm and then I use the Psalm as an outline to pray my own prayers. And you can just use those to learn how to pray. All right, we had some elections a few weeks ago that took place in Ohio, and I so I don't like to talk about politics on this podcast per se. I'm not I'm not a political commentator. I I know my lane, and I've, I've, politics is important, but I, it's not something I want to spend all my time discussing. And um, but I do think I'd like to look and see what has happened in elections and see what does it tell us about the state of the country and. And we had some elections a few weeks ago in Ohio that I think tell us about the state of men in our country, men specifically in our country. And without looking too deep into the statistics, I think we can look at what happened and make some obvious conclusions. You don't always need to go deep and understand every little detail to notice obvious conclusions. The And plus statistics... Statistics are helpful, but they can also be manipulated to paint a false picture. There's just some things you can look at, and we need to really, really train ourselves to do this. And that's part of this podcast is being able to train yourself to know what is objective good and what is objective truth and look at something and be like, well, that's not good. Objectively, that's not good. Why is it not good? It's because it's not. It's not. Stealing is wrong because it's wrong. I don't need to explain to you why taking someone else's property under yourself is wrong. It just is. There are things that are obvious, especially if you believe in objective good, objective truth, based on traditional values and the natural law. You know, that's that's gonna be a phrase we're using a lot today. Traditional values and the natural law. That's because the traditional values, the the virtues, the natural law, it it uh, spreads across history and it spreads across the globe. And you will find it in every culture to some degree. C.S. Lewis makes this point in mere Christianity. Paul makes it in Romans chapter one that that what is obvious about God has been made known to man because he has made it plain to them. And he, then he, in chapter two, he gets on to, you know, the Gentiles who do not have the law do what the law naturally requires. He's referring there to the Ten Commandments, and which is the the basic statement of the natural law. And that transcends culture. 
everybody in the world knows it is not good to steal, and some people steal anyway. Um, so we're going to be we're looking at that. But there's two laws that were passed in Ohio. One was on abortion, and I'm not going to say that word probably anymore because I don't want this podcast to be suppressed. One was about the termination of pregnancy, which was enshrined in the state constitution, and one was about the legalization of marijuana. Both of these passed overwhelmingly. Like It wasn't really a close call on that one. And I want to briefly look at what led to this and what it means by examining it through the lens of C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Men, or The Abolition of Man. If you have not read that book, add it to your list and read it ASAP. In fact, like read it and then read it again immediately because it is C.S. Lewis. It's going to be philosophical and it's going to punch you in the face so hard you're going to have to like read it again to understand what exactly he is saying because you can kind of get with all C.S. Lewis, you can get a grasp on what he's saying the first time. A second time will make it very clear to you. But the book is only 75 pages long. So even if you read it once and then read it again immediately, it's still shorter than the av- than like an average book, you know, at 150 pages if you read it twice. And this 75-page book made the li- list of top 100 books in the 20th century, which shows, I think, the brilliancy of C.S. Lewis. In 75 short pages, he shows the natural consequences of education that removes traditional values. That's what the whole book is. It opens with, this is what happens when you tell men they should not venerate something that is objectively good and where it leads to, and he calls it the abolition of man. And it's a power punch book. We're not we're not going to do a full synopsis on the book, but I'm going to pull some quotes from the book so that we can understand Ohio and the elections there. Because this book, it was written in 1944. It was written a long time ago. And it is one of the more prophetic books of, that I have ever read. Prophetic not being it tells the future, but because prophetic, it, it tells the future. But what, primarily what prophetic means is it sees what no one else sees and puts a name to it and calls it out so that we can all see it. That's that's a lot of what prophets do, is they see what no one else sees and they call it out. And C.S. Lewis saw what no one else saw and he called it out, and well, here we are today. The beginning of the second chapter, it's only three chapters long, 75 pages. The beginning of, of the second chapter, it starts with this. It says, the practical result of education in the spirit of the green book, which is from chapter one. It's, it's a fake name he gave to a book that he doesn't want to name. The the practical result of education in the spirit of the green book must be the destruction of the society which accepts it. The education that he is referring to is the education that seeks to debunk traditional values, to remove them, to, to debunk them away from what is good. They don't want men to see it. And he makes that point very, very clear in in chapter one. He's talking about removing objective good, and he uses that phrase on purpose instead of objective truth, because this is a this is a chapter or this is a book about men who do stuff. Actually, he's kind of critical of purely intellectuals. He's talk he's talking about the the strong emotions that draw men to do good. You know, he opens with a, he's talking about veneration of something that is beautiful, uh, sublime, not merely pretty, but it's sublime, worthy of admiration and of veneration. 
and the intellectuals are like, no, he's just feeling things about sublime. It's all subjective. And he says, that's not true. There are things that are actually beautiful and good and worthy of your veneration. And there's things that are beautiful and good that are worthy of your protection. And and it's these strong chest-like emotions that men have that force them to do good because they're attached to objective values. And he and C.S. Lewis is saying, when you remove that from men, you will destroy the society. You will. Because that's what makes men, men. <clears throat> he does use a concrete example of a man who is taught from childhood that, you know, it's noble and good to die for your country. And that's not something you intellectualize. That's just been imparted to you. He rightly points out, C.S. Lewis rightly points out that those kinds of values of courage, of nobility, of strength, of wit, of, of knowing objective good can only be imparted man to man. It's into what he calls the chest. There's this famous quote in the book. It's at the end of chapter one. You've probably heard this quote somewhere. It's Here's how it goes. It says, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. And then he points out that the education that debunks objective good removes that chest piece like I had said above, and it leaves only their mind and their belly, which we're going to get into. Only the mind and the belly. The mind is supposed to rule the belly through the chest, but the chest is the most important part of a man. This is where men, it's from the chest. That this, you know, this is the what C.S. Lewis, it's from the chest, this place where men feel things deeply that cause them to do something noble and good. So, for example, if I saw my wife being attacked, nothing in me would need to intellectualize. Like, well, would it be good to protect her? No, something in my chest would make me would make me lay down my life and kill the person who was trying to harm my wife. I, I wouldn't even have to think about it. It would just happen unless somebody took that from me by saying that's not by te- teaching me from a young age that it is not objectively good. And the book that C.S. Lewis is talking about the, at the beginning the education comes from educating young men, high school and younger. He's not talking about people in college learning philosophy. He's talking about kids who don't know any better. Kids who have their teachers say that it is actually what those those strong manly emotions aren't actually good. They're just in the way. So you don't you you have ADHD. You're not naturally energetic. You just have ADHD. We need to medicate you. So where are the good men? Where we've I've heard this question all the time. Where are the good men? We've removed their chest by a failure to impart manhood to them. C.S. Lewis points out that men must be educated man to man. It has to be imparted to them. I think I've said that already. Okay. Um, But this is why, that's why you and I, we must continually insist to each other and to young men and to whoever we can that there is objective men and men are called to do it, to do it. You're called to do objective good, not just intellectualize your mind, not to live by your appetite, but to live from that chest, to live from what is good that has been instilled in you. Like I said above, it's wrong to steal because it's wrong to steal. That is objective. It's wrong to cheat because it's wrong to cheat. That's objective. We don't need to think about it too much. But if you have not had that instilled in you, if you have not been told from a young age that it is wrong to cheat, you will have a hard time when you get older. Doesn't matter it, when you get older. Plato, I think, made this point in in his one of his books. If you cannot educate a young man in the in the morals early, when he becomes an adult, it will be almost impossible for him to do them, because he will not have had that imparted into his chest. 
that is wrong to steal. So he'll know, like, objectively, he'll know intellectually it's wrong to steal, but he'll have a very hard time controlling that passion to steal or that that impulse to steal. C.S. Lewis actually made that point in the book. I didn't add the quote here, but he he has a quote similar to what I just said in the book. Men are the defenders of life because it's the good and right thing to do. You and I are to defend women and children, the weak and the vulnerable, because it's objectively good. And that has not been told to men in a long, long time. And I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it for the rest of my life. And you, I hope you can say this to other men or men that you know, especially your young men. That you are a man, and I had somebody say this to me. The reason I feel it so deeply is because it was imparted to me by other men older than me when I was young. You and I are to defend women and children, the weak and the vulnerable, because it is objectively good. And C.S. Lewis, in this book, written in 1944, has said, We have educated men without chess, and it will destroy society. So now fast forward to Ohio in 2023. What happens when you make men without chess? You destroy society. You absolutely destroy society, and you you have no objective way to protect society, which brings me to Ohio. Two laws were passed, which show, I think, definitively that we live in a country of men without chess. Abortion was enshrined into the Constitution, and the legalization of marijuana occurred at the exact same time, and I'm going to take each in turn. Now, so remember, when you educate the traditional values out of society, when you say there's no such thing as objective good, when you remove objective good, you make men without chess, and all that's left is intellectuals who can discuss but can do no good, and men are left craven to their appetites. Dallas Willard made this point in his book, Divine Conspiracy. We can talk about moral good, but we seem incapable of doing it. It's in chapter one of his book. And when you have men who have only intellectual prowess but no ability to do good, and then you have other men who are only craving to their appetites, they're subject to their appetites, this leads to the destruction of society. And you've heard me say it, when men don't do what men are supposed to do, the world falters. And so when you have a law that is enshrined in the Constitution that terminates pregnancy, you need to know that that is a man problem. That's a man problem. That's not a feminist problem. That's a man's problem. Termination of the pregnancy destroys the spirit of a woman. I know four, I personally know four women who have had an, who have had, I'm just going to say whatever, who have had an abortion, who have terminated their pregnancy, and yet it destroyed the baby. It's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. It destroyed them too. And they have never, ever, ever recovered the spirit of woman inside of them. Never. I know four women who have done it and they've never recovered from what that, from what it did to them because it's there. You're not. And this is the thing. When we turn everything into symbols and nothing is real anymore, you forget that a woman's body was designed to give life. The first one was called Eve, which means the mother of all living. You don't have life without women. Their body was perfectly designed to give and propagate life. And so when you destroy a pregnancy, you destroy what a woman was designed for, which is the exact same thing as destroying woman. Every time abortions happen, you destroy women. You're not protecting women's rights. You're destroying them. Absolutely destroying them. And the child. 
And you need to know that the number one propagator of abortion is not women, it's men. Men who insist that their women get one because they do not want the child. And that, that should be obvious, I think. Like, you can go look it up. Men are the number one instigators of abortion. They, they get their woman pregnant, and they, want, they don't want the baby, so they insist that their woman go get an abortion almost every single time. You just you can look that stat up yourself. You're gonna have to dig for it because you're, they're gonna say, "Oh no, it's a feminist thing." Look out for the lies. You and I, you and I, we ask this strange question these days, and this this was not a question that was asked that long uh, up until recently. We ask the question, "How many children do you want?" As if it's like you buying something from a store. How many apples do you want? I want six. How many children do you want? Oh, I want two. And I, I no, nah, maybe I want three. And it's only you can only ask that question because of contraception. You can only you you can only ask how many kids do you want because of contraception because it gave you a, a, a sense of control over what happens when you have sex and if you take that to its logical conclusion I don't want like you say I don't want to wear condoms uh, because I don't want to have too many or I, I'll wear condoms because I don't want to have too too many kids if you take it to its logical conclusion it leads to abortion. It has to. It has to lead to abortion because you start to try to control what happens when you do the act of sex. And if it, that controls, you need another control in place. And the logical control is abortion. And that's exactly what happened to the tune of 70 million babies. And the number one, again, it's men. It's men. C.S. Lewis pointed this out in his book. Like, which is so... There was no, there was every Christian denomination up until 1900, every single one said that contraception was morally wrong because of where it would lead. Every single one in the 1900, I don't remember which church it was, which denomination decided, no, it's actually, it's fine. It's okay. And then 100 years later, we have murdered 70 million babies. And you need to take it to its logical, be honest where the logical conclusion takes. And C.S. Lewis pointed this out in 1944. Listen to this quote. Listen to this quote. I wrote next to my, next to it in this book, that this is one of the most prophetic lines in the entire book. Because the, the, at the, this point in the chapter, he's trying to explain that if you don't have traditional values, educators try to replace traditional good or what is good with instinct instinct will allow us to do good and he says this we have no instinctive urge to keep promises or to respect individual life that is why scruples of justice and humanity in fact traditional values can be swept away when they conflict with our real end the preservation of our species as we define it that again is why the modern situation permits and demands a new sexual morality the old taboos serve some real purpose in helping to preserve the species, but contraceptives have bodied this and we can now abandon many of the taboos. For of course, sexual desire being instinctive is to be gratified whenever it does not conflict with the preservation of the species. It looks in fact as if ethics based on instinct will give the innovator all he wants and nothing he doesn't want. All he wants and nothing he doesn't want. He will be ruled entirely by his belly, as Paul says it, or by his appetites. 
Lewis, without saying it so much, is saying that the logical end of contraceptions is abortion. You can have, you get used to having all the sex you want because there's no consequences. There's no, there's no babies. You don't have to go through the pain of a miscarriage. You don't have to ha take on the responsibility of raising a child and settling down and getting. You get to have all the pleasure you want, like an animal, without any of the responsibilities. Because the traditional the traditional understanding of sex is that it is for procreation, it's for pleasure, and it's for unity. That's the trinity of sex: procreation, unity, and pleasure. And when you get used to sex being mere pleasure without what it breeds because of contraception, what do you do when the contraception fails? You invent a new way to make sure that you can have all that you want without the consequences, which has led to men becoming the primary pro propagator of abortion in the United States of America. That's, that is, that's the fact. You kill the chest in men. You take it removed from them objective good. All you have left are intellectuals. Who, who have, there's not a, there are very few smart intellectuals anymore because they've all robbed themselves of what is obvious and traditional and good. And then you have, you're left with the appetite of men and men. And when they have no, their belly needs a chest. It, the mind cannot rule over the belly without the chest. It just can't. <clears throat> you need to understand, you have to have a deep sense of what is good, right, and true. And if you don't, you'll just use whatever feels good. This is not a the, the abortion. The, the abortion being enshrined in the Constitution of Ohio says everything you need to know about the status of how we have educated our young men. They are in, they are supposed to be the defenders of women and children, and they destroy the women and the children because they want sexual pleasure. That's that's like what it is. And until we start having that conversation, I don't know if anything else will matter when it comes to the topic of abortion. This is an issue caused by men without chess, and it will only be saved by men with chess. And whatever, if I get slandered on that for online, whatever. Baby murder and killing the soul of a woman, <laughs> whatever. If, if it costs me, whatever. It's wrong, and it's only going to be solved by men with chess. Now, this brings me to the other issue. The other thing made uh, that was made legal was marijuana. And the reason this has to do with men is because men use marijuana somewhere close to twice the rate of women, if not more. And I can speak with a little bit more authority on marijuana because I grew up and I lived in Colorado, right next to the city of Denver, like a 10-minute drive from the city of Denver. And as you know, Colorado was the first state to legalize marijuana. And I can tell you exactly what happens over the course of 14 years um, after its legalization, I, cause I watched it happen and it absolutely ruined the city of Denver and much of the state of Colorado. I mean, once you get out the metro area, Colorado is beautiful. It's amazing, but it, it ruined, it, it ruined my hometown after they legalized this. Um, so I can tell you what you're going to see. You're going to see what happened in Oregon. You're going to see what happened in California. It happened in Denver first. It's going to happen in Ohio and it's going to happen to every single state that legalizes the drug marijuana. You're going to see an increase in crime. You're going to see an, an increase in homelessness. You'll see an increase in other drug uses. Up until about 10 years, Denver was a very safe city. At least I felt safe. I didn't feel any problem going downtown. I felt no scare in going downtown. And But when we lived there, I mean, we don't live there anymore. When we did live there, I got to the point where I was like, I'm not, I wouldn't let my wife go downtown without me or without a group. I just wouldn't let it happen because it, it it's just so dangerous now. <clears throat> um, Denver leads the leads the nation in auto theft and other car related crimes. It leads the nation in fentanyl deaths. 
um, marijuana is because it's such a strong drug in Denver. It's not like what you saw in that '70s show. It's it's a very strong and potent drug, and it it's it's become a gateway drug. You're going to see the homelessness increase. Denver has 9,000 homeless people, which is an increase of nearly 60 percent since 2016. Um, there's an additional 40,000 people or so who are in and out of housing there and they're just kind of in and out, in and out. You can't really tell what there's going on, but then you have 9,000 people who have set up camps and they're homeless by choice and their huts reek of weed, reek of weed. You can smell, you can walk, you walk down the city, the streets of Denver and you'll smell weed everywhere, literally everywhere. And it's almost all men, almost all men. So you're going to see Ohio, who just enshrined abortion in their constitution, and they enshrined, uh, and they're put, they legalize marijuana. What you're going to see is an increase in drug use, and homelessness, and everything that else comes that comes with it. Just like you saw in Denver, just like you saw in Oregon, just like you saw in California. Let me just read you some other stats from the National Library of, of Medicine about what this is going to do to men. Um, this is from the impact of legalization in Colorado. The National Library of Medicine did this big study. And so we can look at the study, but I can tell you, I watched it happen in my home city. Um, but just just listen to these stats as I pull them up. Okay. So it's divided into several sections. So section one is traffic fatalities and impaired driving. There's an increase in de- traffic deaths by 31% since the legalization, legalization of marijuana. And that's not all traffic deaths. It's related to marijuana. People who tested positive for marijuana when they had passed from a traffic death. This equates to one person killed every three days in 2018. Uh, Marijuana use. Uh, Past month, marijuana uses for kids ages 12 and older increased 58% and is 78% higher than the national average. Adult marijuana use increased 94% and is 96% higher than the national average. College-age marijuana increased 18%. Youth marijuana um, decreased, and the youth is under 12 so awesome. How is that something that's even kids under 12? Public health. The yearly number of emergency department visits related to marijuana increased 54% after the legalization. 54%. The yearly number of marijuana-related hospitalizations increased 101%. The percent of suicide incidents in which toxicology Toxicology results were positive for marijuana has increased 14%. Section 4, black market. So this is what's wild. You legalize marijuana and the black market statistics went up. So everybody who keeps claiming that if you legalize it, it'll make the crime go away, you're full of crap. 192 felony arrests, 6 tons of marijuana seized, 60,000 marijuana plants that were illegal seized, um, seizures of Colorado marijuana in the U.S. mail system increased 1,042%. And, you know, so other people will say that it was um, the marijuana. Oh, it had some benefits. It increased the tax revenue so we could build highways. That's not true. Marijuana tax revenue represents one, uh, excuse me, nine-tenths of 1% of Colorado's budget. Nine-tenths of 1%. Couldn't even make it 1% of the budget. That stuff is just gnarly. It's wrong. So there's all that. But marijuana also keeps men from doing the things that they should be doing. You can't be high and defend women and children. You can't be high and, you know, 
become a man of virtue. You can't be high and work a job that takes care of a family. You can't do it. And we have created a society of men without chess who are ruled entirely by their appetites for sex and for drugs. And we've got these so-called intellectuals who dictate what is supposedly good, but they can't figure out what gender is. And so our society, it just seems like it's falling apart at an ever-increasing rate. And yeah, because we made men without chess. When you make men without chess, when you rob them of the ability to do good based on objective traditional values, the world falters. And again, those values are instilled at a young age. There's an emotional deep-chested impartation to men from their fathers and from older men about what good men do. Good men defend women and children. Good men do not lie. Good men do not steal. Good men stand up for what is just. Good men lay down their lives when they have to. That is not intellectual. That is not driven by appetite. That is driven solely by the chest and it's imparted man to man. And when you rob kids of that, when their dads are at home trying to impart that to them and you've got some teacher who's saying, no, that's not actually good. Sit down, take your ADHD medicine. You rob men of chest. And here we are today. Legalization of abortion in in most states (laughs) up until and beyond birth. Marijuana like crazy. And as C.S. Lewis wrote in 1944, if you accept that dogma, that it's good to create men without chest to laugh at honor, you will destroy the society that propagates that. You will. And so there's one thing that we must do. One thing. We must become men with chests again. You and I, we must become men who live out virtue and do what is good even when no one else will join us. Yeah, you're going to be reviled. You're going to be called many things, but that's what men must do. And then we must initiate our children into manhood. So like, honestly, if you want to fix society in one, in culture within one generation, because you keep, we keep fighting over the politics, whatever, which, ah, that's gone. (laughs) That's gone. If you want to fix society and culture, there's, I I think there's really one thing that we can do. We can have a bunch of kids and raise them to know what object and what is objective good and how to do objective good based on the traditional values. The the guys smoking weed, they're not having kids and the pro abortionist kids, they're just, well, they're, they're killing off their offspring. If they're not turning them into transgender, like it's, it's wild, wild. The world we live in have kids. And then you got Christians who are like, nah, I just want one kid cause it'll be too hard. And I just like my work and vacations actual things I've heard people say. I know that I, and I also, I just want to say, I know, I know people who are intentionally choosing not to have children so that they can give their lives to something different. And that's way different than what I'm talking about. That's it. That is significantly different than what I'm talking about. And I know there, there are people who want to either give their lives to foster care or to missionaries or to something. Like I know those people have kids, raise them to do noble and to do good then become good yourself. That's all I have for you today. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you want to dive deeper into the Institute of Men, become a subscriber on instituteofmen.org. There you can sign up for my newsletter. You can choose a free or a paid subscription, and then you'll receive exclusive content. Financial support of any kind is very much appreciated. If you didn't like this content, just pretend you didn't listen. That helps us out too. Until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker, and this is the Institute of Men podcast.